Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good morning. Uh, welcome back to another week of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, we have the pleasure of being joined by Gaz Ravi Chandra. He is an international career path strategist and executive coach uh, involved in organizational psychologists and the co-founder of Compass, Compass Consultancy, uh, which is celebrating seven years uh, in business this month. Uh, for 20 years, Gaj has worked in leading organizations uh, with individuals and sporting companies, business schools, uh, as well as to enhance productivity and accelerate growth. As a registered psychologist, Gaja leans on the psychology training to deliver the most effective evidence-based solutions to his clients. And his company, uh, Compass Consultancy, uh, specializes in enabling performance excellence, offerings, offering executive coaching, mental toughness, which we'll delve into, performance coaching, career transition, which is very relevant at the moment for many people, and coaching as well, strategic career road mapping and mindset coaching. Their Compass are headquartered in Dubai, but they also have a presence in UK, Europe, Middle East, and Australia, where Gaj is joining us from this morning, or I should say this evening. <laughs> what time is it there? Yeah, late afternoon, evening. That's right. Thanks, Rich. How are you, mate? Very good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're in Sydney? That's right. I am, yeah. And you've been there since, uh, since March, I think. That's right, since mid-March. So we, uh, we managed to get back around mid-March and obviously it's been very challenging to get back and to have consistent flights uh, from uh, you know, different providers. So I think uh, we are looking to get back pretty soon. Um, I, I'm missing the place. I'm missing Dubai. Oh, really? What do you, what do you miss about Dubai? What, what does Dubai have that Sydney doesn't? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question. You know, it, it's, there is something about Dubai. I mean, we got there in 2008, right? You know, a few months before the world started really having these massive impacts with the, with the financial crisis. And um, there was something about Dubai in terms of its limitless mindset, right? Mm. The fact that you can say, we're going to do this and actually do it um, is very different to most developed economies or developing economies, right? And I think if you look at Australia, for example, we've been trying to build a second runway in our international airports for about 30 years. Hasn't happened. Uh, <laughs> do you think that would ever happen in a place like Dubai? That's interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so, yeah. They have that issues, I think, in, in Dublin and in, in Heathrow, they had many issues within the extra terminal. There's so much red tape. I think it, it's you often hear of it in construction, like in, in developed cities. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to get projects off the ground and you can do it so easily in dubai uh yeah that, that kind of mindset uh yeah you mentioned we as that's your family you've two uh sort of teenage almost teenage daughters as well and they're with you in australia yeah absolutely i'm going through that fabulous phase mate <laughs> of having uh the pre-teens and the teens yeah um look it, it's a delightful thing you can read as many books as you like on the topic right but um you know, when you actually live through that process you want to be there to support them and and being girls you know they for me, it's a very foreign concept, right, as a, as a father, to kind of understand what it means to be a girl growing up. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, that, that's been a massive learning for me, right? And so, you know, that's been really interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah and mm. I, I'm sure your psychology comes into <laughs> into use as well when you're wearing, wearing your oh. daughter's uh, 
I'm sure they're masters at it as well. Uh, to get well, I mean, they're, they're better at it than they're better at it than me. But I think psychology is not allowed to be practiced at home. I've been told. Okay, <laughs> but yeah. So tell us that you know, seven years in business with Compass. You, you obviously kind of had a, a good career in consultancy before that. With and what kind of led you to setting it up? And what what was the kind of gap in the market uh, at the time? Yeah, it's a great question. One of the things that you know we were really keen on from the very beginning was to start to have ownership, right, over the direction that we wanted to help people in. And I think you know finding like-minded people, you know, that kind of shared that vision with you is really hard to find. I mean, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, over the years, and one of the things I find, which is that they really struggle to find people who share that common sort of purpose or goal. Mm. Um, you've interviewed lots of people, right, on this show, uh, you know, who've started a business, who've kind of built something. And, you know, one of my old mentors used to tell me, you can outsource for pretty much anything except values. Mm. And so you need to get that part right. And if you don't get that part right, you get problems. And, you know, th those problems, you start to see the cracks, right, developing, particularly when there's pressure and stress. Um, you know, which tends to happen as you're growing a business and particularly as we've tried to grow it internationally. Um, that has been, you know, one of the fundamental things to hold us together, right? Mm. Um, so that's interesting. So, yeah. so you, it's basically a, a consultancy company that does all the things I kind of mentioned in the intro. Um, and But based on what you mentioned there, you really touch on the core kind of uh, setup and structure of a company from a value proposition. Yeah, absolutely. So we have kind of three main parts of our business. We have a, a performance consultancy piece. You know, how do we get the maximum performance for people as individuals, as teams, as organizations? Uh, we have a, a leadership piece. So we look at, you know, how do we develop better leaders? Mm. And then we have a careers part of our business, right? And so across all those three areas, you know, the, the business is very passionate about helping people across those three dimensions. And so that might be in sporting teams. So we've helped, you know, different uh, sporting teams, institutions around the world, uh, individuals as well as, as teams, um, you know, to perform at a higher level. Uh, we've worked with, you know, Fortune 500 companies. We've been very fortunate to kind of do that. And also then sort of leading business schools. So, you know, whether it's the INSEADs or, you know, Harvard Education or um, Halt Ashridge, you know, we've been very lucky to kind of work with those institutions to kind of um, manage their talent, whether they're studying executive MBAs or, in fact, even, you know, individual senior leaders within those companies, right, to get the maximum performance that they can. So, so what, what are the sort of principles that you take into your offering and your product? So what, what have you learned over time and from your background that uh, are really important to you and, and kind of comes through on all your, your offerings? Yeah. So I, I think when it comes to, when we hear this word coach, um, you know, it's really funny. Everyone is a coach these days, right? Everyone's uh, claiming to be a coach and to, and to be able to, you know, provide support to people. And I think there are some wonderful programs out there um, that allow you to be able to have the knowledge to do that. And that is based around science, right? It's, a it's not a, you know, it's something that you can measure, typically. So what we talk, normally do is we go in and we have some sort of diagnostic, some sort of tool, questionnaire mm. that measures where is this person right now, right? On, on a number of dimensions. It could be their mental toughness and, and resilience. It could be about other elements of their personality, their leadership. 
Um, and, and then we kind of, you know, put together, a, I guess, a bit of an intervention, right, over a course of three, six months, 12 months, that allows them to start to develop uh, not only their areas of weakness that they might have, but to even strengthen their strengths, mm. right? Um, I guess if, if you and I think about it, Richard, we, one of the key things that, you know, I tend to find is that when you go through these kind of assessments, people start to focus so much on their weaknesses and their, and their development areas. Yeah, they true. forget that the thing that brought them there is actually their strengths, yeah. right? So that's the, your unique sort of value. You know, we need to bring our weaknesses up, but at the same time, we need to develop the things that have actually you know, differentiated us from most other people. Mm. And so it's working on those things in combination you know, that can be really powerful. Right. So, so what do you what do you think, Gosh, that there's um, enough awareness or acceptance of sort of career development and personal development? Um, do you think it varies by country, by sector? I remember just a, a small anecdote personally. I remember uh, I had a, I worked in a few small companies, and when I joined a big company in London, uh, there was so much focus on people and culture, and the courses they put me on really helped me. Really helped me in in um, language and communication and in development. And it was manager level, it wasn't leadership level. And it, that was a wake up call. I remember being in a room with 20 other people and we were learning about resolving conflict. And all my learnings about, and you, you might, in your involvement in sports, you might recognize this, but all my learnings about yeah. conflict and people management were from football managers books and Alex Ferguson <laughs> kicking boots at, at David Beckham and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I would, I would argue so strongly that, that that was the right approach. Cause that's what a 25 year old self believed that that's how you manage people. Uh, mm. And I was convinced through this provided by the company that there's different ways to do it. Uh, and that really it helped me in the future and then I, I remember being at a certain level over here, uh, a sort of almost MD level and being out of my depth and wanting career coaching and asking the CEO for asking for support. And I was told that there wasn't belief in, in, in career coaching. The, the company didn't, didn't necessarily believe in it, that you can do it on the job or you can do it with your peers. Um, and uh, I found that I found that an awareness piece like uh, you know clearly clearly there's expertise that can help like in anything in learning and education whether it's books or whether it's people and there's different mm. techniques and there's things different work for different people but why have you come across that why would people not think it works yeah look it, it's that's a fully loaded question it's awesome um you know i, I think there's probably a number of things around around that. Sometimes they've just had a really bad experience, right? Going down that path of, of, of getting some career coaching. Um, and perhaps it hasn't been structured, right? And organized. Perhaps it's been unclear about where you're actually going, right? One of the big areas that we find is a major problem is actually trying to understand your target or your goal, right? So in career coaching, you need to have some sort of endpoint to some extent, right? Or, or some sort of short-term, medium-term, long-term goals that you would set. Now, what's really interesting that's kind of taking place in the world of career coaching is shifting so quickly. Um, you know, when you look at jobs nowadays, we're moving into this kind of gig economy, you know, where people are working on multiple projects and doing all these kind of things. 
we're actually then shifting into this fractional employment, yeah, which is then much about for the first time this week. Yeah, can you explain it? Really? Yeah, <laughs> fractional so CMOs and fractional, things like that. Yeah, yeah. So the the idea is that you know obviously there could be people, and, and this is like it's a bit shocking actually when you kind of think about this from from our perspective in, in, in today's sort of job market, but there will be a time in the not so distant future where we are going to be working perhaps multiple part-time jobs, potentially for competitive companies, mm. right? Now, the idea that you could potentially go and work for um, one software company and then work for its competitor half the time each week is a little bit foreign at the moment, mm. right? But that's where the world of work is going. So this sense of having permanency, right, in our in our jobs, you, we're going to start to see over the next 10 years the word permanent being dropped, mm. right? Now, this is a big shift in the way that we think because I think for a lot of us, we still like the fact that there is security and stability, right, in a job that we hold. Now, what does this mean from a career perspective? And, you know, if you're going down the path of career coaching, it means your personal brand has to be developed, right, from a career perspective. So, and I've got, you know, one of our business partners, our, our um, you know, sort of a global sort of expert, a guy called Peter Hill. Um, you know, he's known as the career doctor. We, we created this Kickstarter series with him. And he talks about, forget job security, right? No one wants to talk about job security anymore. We've got to start talking about career security, mm. right? So how do you, Richard, as an individual, manage your career, not just worry about your current job or the next job, right? That's a transactional kind of process, right? So we're kind of shifting to a, what does my brand look like? How am I going to sell myself in a way that kind of makes sense to organizations or to people, right? Do I, how do I use social media? I don't need to tell you about social media. You, you've got that down pat, right? But how do you sell on social media, your skills and capabilities and how do you connect? Right. And I think that is a massive skill set that a lot of us don't have right now. And, you know, we need to learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. So if there are programs out there that that teach you how to connect socially, how you brand yourself, you know, as, as an asset. Right. I mean, marketing 101. Right. Features and benefits. If you go and ask anybody. Right. You know, what are the features and benefits of you as a as a as a skill set or an asset to a company? Mm. Most people will struggle to articulate. Yeah. Right. And what's kind of important about that is saying, well, firstly, do I have that self-awareness mm. about what makes me so special and unique? Right. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about this in some of our programs that self-awareness leads to articulation, right? You, if you have that self-awareness, you spent that time understanding yourself, you can then talk about it with somebody, right? Mm. Um, and so that's really important to have that. Yeah. I think there's a difference between, uh, say, fractional or freelancer and evolution of that and permanent. Do you think there, you know, obviously there still will be some permanent work and then there's some freelance sure. and do do you think it's a choice? Do you think we, we have to be aware of both, you know, under the guise of how we manage our career? Uh, should we manage our career one way for permanency and one way for fractional freelance? Yeah, it, look, that's a, it's a good question because it actually implies that, you know, there, there could be some sort of transition point, right, over time you know, mm. that we're going to get to. 
Um, so if we assume that there's going to be some roles that will be permanent, you know, that are going to be required all the time, and let's take an example, some of the essential services, you might find, for example, doctors in hospitals, there's going to be an element of permanency to that. Having said that, most doctors work on contract, yeah. right? The enterprise agreements, you know, around the world with most doctors is two or three years, for example. Um, and so therefore, you might tend to find that that's also there, but there's some permanency to some extent. Uh, definitely in terms of the freelance perspective, we're seeing that already. I mean, there's stats coming out from the World Economic Forum saying, you know, by over the next five to 10 years, 50% of people in the US will be uh, self-employed, right? That's a massive shift in how people need to brand themselves. And that, yeah. that's only going to, to move across into other countries and uh, like the UAE. So if we think about what does that mean for people in Dubai? Uh, what does it mean for the government in Dubai? Um, this talk of having, you know, part-time visas, of having, you know, uh, visas for entrepreneurs, right, to kind of set up companies and to sell themselves is going to become even more important over the next five to ten years. Mm. You know, that's going to be critical um, because a lot of companies might not invest in people on the ground. They might say, actually, you know what, we can get this done from someone in Canada mm. um, who's going to offer this service, right? Um, and so that, that world is going to look a little bit different, Yeah, um, you know, which is interesting. If we take those kind of just two points out of that, firstly, on the freelancer, uh, there's emerging technologies and software, kind of the evolution of LinkedIn or the CV. Um, and mm -hmm. we use a lot, one called Upwork. And we were, mm -hmm. we were seeing such value in it that we've decided not just to call it Upwork or freelance, but to actually... Uh, build it as an extension of an arm of our company and our company always picks Roman terms. So we have Augustus is, our, is the name and then we've got Odium, our content studio, Sensor, Analytics platform. And then we said, well, what's something about an army or what's uh, something to do with? So uh, we've called this Legio and it's early days, but the idea is to recognize what you were talking about and to kind of have the right framework around that. And not just to kind of see it as a as a project on Upwork that's a transaction and a margin, but how are you working with these very crucial, talented, skilled freelancers in all parts of the world? And how do we uh, recognize that that's part of our future and to build other structure around it? And, you know, j just before I ask another question on that, yeah. the first technical bit is when you're saying personal development uh you know, I see some people on this platform who are very good at these platforms are based on reviews and recommendations and doing the work as you said you were. Uh, mm. You know, how, how do you advise people to manage that type of a LinkedIn or a CV in, in this age, like beyond sort of social media, like, you know, getting references every job and all this sort of stuff? Yeah, so th this is going to be, you know, sometimes out of the comfort zone of a lot of people, right? To mm. actually go back and to make these requests, be proactive, to ask for references. Exactly. Now, obviously, LinkedIn I don't, LinkedIn provides an opportunity. I don't yeah, think sorry? I would have been good at that, Raj. I, like, I really don't. You know that? Same. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, look, it, it's funny. It's ironic, actually, because, you know, 90% of our business over so the last seven years has grown through that referral process, right? Mm. You know, we probably only in the last 12 months have really focused a lot on that sort of marketing growth and organic growth through marketing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, us as 
you know, sort of technical specialists might have to develop, you know, a, a sort of quasi skill set around, right? Uh, it's not something we taught at university or, you know, taught at any of these kind of institutions. Um, and so part of that is around being proactive, definitely. You know, you're going to have to ask. Um, the other is then realizing that what do you do with this information? Okay, you've got these recommendations. You've got this, this data. How do you create a story around that to then be able to pass on to other people? You know, is it through case studies? Is it through you know, mapping the industry that you've worked in and then going to those competitors in that industry to that client and saying, hey, guess what I just did, right? It, it, it's that kind of, um, you know, proactivity and drive that is going to make a massive difference um, to people. The world of sitting back and waiting, right, for work to come to you is gone. Mm. That is just not going to happen. And you know, I was listening to these social media sort of podcasts saying, you know, if you don't have a social media presence in the next two or three years, you're virtually not going to exist in that world. Mm. And that horrified me, right? I'm kind of listening to this and someone who's not from that world, it was eye-opening, mm. right? To understand that that's where we're going to get a lot of our knowledge and content from, right? Yeah. So that is a big shift. Um, and so learning to understand how social media operates, you know, how do we use our referral schemes? How do we get recommendations proactively? That's going to be massively powerful. Yeah. Interesting. It, when people realize that it's so important, they can focus on it. And I think it's good for you to put it into context like that. It's not just about copying and pasting a CV onto LinkedIn and leaving it there. There's a lot more you can do. And it's especially relevant in, um, in this day and age. Let, let's talk a little bit more in a second about Kickstarter series, but just one more question around that, about the gig economy and the, the regulation yeah. around it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Uber, for example, and whether their, their drivers should be employees and the benefits and the welfare and things like that. But actually we see this, not just, that's kind of the, the typical example, but um, it's happening in all sorts of uh, freelancer spaces and, even in, in more glorified things like the writing platform Substack and things like that. But actually mm. these, these technical platforms who are, who are providing a place for people to provide services um, are realizing that they need to, um, you know, take the role in some respect of the employer. Uh, how do you kind of view that space? Is that kind of more murky water to navigate for people's careers? Yeah, it's, it, it is a challenge. And one of the things that, you know, there are a lot of these platforms starting to come up and part of trying to understand, you know, which platforms, you know, should I be registering on and working through? Uh, a lot of that comes through referrals, right? Mm. It comes through your friends. It comes through people you trust. So ensuring that you are talking to people about how they're potentially winning work. If you're, for example, permanently employed right now and you're hiring contractors, um, talking to them. To understand where are they getting their opportunities from, right? What kind of platforms are working at the moment? Uh, it's starting to have those kinds of conversations because the world is shifting. Now, COVID has obviously had a massive impact on this mm. and, and it has shifted the landscape significantly and accelerated, as we all know, um, certain industries and certain ways of thinking. And this is one of those ways of thinking. It has forced us to kind of be a little bit more proactive in how we manage our careers. Because if we think about an, an employer or an organization as, as a bit of a machine, right? It, the machine has needs. It has stakeholders it has to, to feed. 
and the the machine needs to operate in a way that where you know the, the stakeholder is not being fed it then needs to adjust it needs to change it needs to restructure it needs to you know fundamentally shift the way that it operates and so that's only normal mm. right and i think sometimes we've placed this huge expectation on these big machines to kind of give us that stability and security right and i think what people are finding now is that we cannot rely on, on the that. that is that yeah. it, absolutely right you, you got to rely on yourself and it's that self-reliance which means what is my brand personal mm. brand because if i'm going to push this out there now um and personal brand has always been important it's been important in permanent roles right how do you people get promoted and the amount of people we talk to richard who say can't believe that person got promoted they do half the work that i do right and thing, they still yeah. manage to get the promotion right <laughs> that's linked to something yeah right? there's a reason why they've done that so that it's always been there hmm. yeah yeah uh interesting so you, you kind of really think that the onus is on the person and the individual and that personal brand and that personal economy and that they should be looking after their health insurance and their taxes and their legal rights and protect themselves really yeah absolutely that, that is going to be absolutely Important. vital and i think the more um independent we can become and self-reliant we can become yeah it starts to open up the opportunities to think more broadly, mm. right? About where you take your skills. You know, actually no longer now I can base myself in Dubai, but I could be operating and delivering services across the GCC virtually uh, into North America, into Australia. You know, that's all possible, right? And it's becoming almost standard and expected now mm. that we might be doing that more and more often. So it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, Dubai is a good kind of touch uh, space for that as well. Uh, it's a global hub. But just kind of the Kickstarter series you mentioned that you did with a, a partner, it, an online course to help people kind of get back to work. Uh, what? How do you go about that? And how have you seen the sort of um, the climate lately with people transitioning jobs and the uncertainty? Is there a lot of... Um, do people need a lot of talking and help at the moment? It's massive. Um, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like this in the 20 years that I've been working. And, um, you know, as partners, we have actually lifted our own level of pro bono work that we provide mm. to 30 hours a month. So one hour a day that we provide a free sort of consultation, right, to mm. people uh, around this. People either in difficult, you know, dire situations can't afford to get career coaching and support. Um, and, you know, we have upped that service. Now, because of that, what we decided to do, Richard, was actually to create a virtual platform or product that would actually allow people from anywhere in the world to access about 50 years of research, right, and, and career coaching. And to be able to do that, so you don't have to go and attend a business school, right, and do an MBA to kind of get access to it. It can be done in the comfort of your own home. Yeah. Uh, four hours of content from sample CVs and interview skills through to uh, the self-assessment to turning interviews into job offers to salary negotiation, um, you know, the entire spectrum of what you would typically expect. Uh, and we've made that available, right? And, you know, what's been more fascinating is actually we've been speaking to a couple of governments in the last week. It was only launched two weeks ago. And, you know, we thought we'd put it online, make it available to the general public, uh, and a couple of governments have come to us and said, well, we have 
120,000 graduates who can't find jobs, right? right? Could we use this product, you know, mm. to kind of support people through this? And the answer is absolutely yes, right? And, and, and that's, that's the exciting part. So, mm. you know, I have this little um, chart that sits on my board here uh, that's a countdown, right? And it's gone from one to a million. And our private goal, it's not private anymore, um, is actually to get to a million people that have used this product by the end of this year. Oh, wow. That's a short time frame. <laughs> but yeah, it's a short time frame, right? Yeah. We are dead serious about having as many people as possible access this platform. Um, because we know now is the time. Mm. Now is the time when people need this support when they are potentially lost, mm. right? And they don't know what to do. And they need a strategy and a plan on how to find that next opportunity. Right. So it's a, it's a free, so, it's a free program they can access. Uh, it's not free. It's about two hundred dollars, yeah. um, and it's it's about sort of eight modules, four hours of content. It's typically around two and a half thousand dollars that we would normally package. We've dropped the price by you know, less than ninety percent to yeah. make it accessible to people, and we've tried to do that because we know that there is a lot of value there, and these tools you can use for the rest of your life. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, we 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 felt it was the right time. Yeah. to kind of do this no i was going to say that yeah, yeah. i've also seen experience like everyone has the a change in the kind of job landscape like whether it's furlough mm -hmm. whether it's um people unemployed people having to move country and the, and then the uncertainty and the, the kind of human uh anxiety the elements that kind of crop up as well but i think it does stand out when people do come for an interview or when people do talk to you the ones that um have prepared and have uh you know we go back to the point about knowledge and educating yourself you can you can uh use this time to uh to improve yourself and i think it's fascinating that that you know for a small investment you can um become better at four or five crucial things that can help your career in the future uh so you know it's great that that you put that online yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has been tried and tested over 10,000 people across 140 countries in five continents. So we know this works. Uh, we've seen it work so many times. Um, so it, it's exciting. And I think it's not just us, right? I mean, so many of the organizations have had to pivot and kind of think about how can they take their knowledge and their skills and their experiences and create something that's going to help the community, right? And not just their local community. Now you've got access to a global community which is amazing. Um, so we've had people from different countries, you know, going through the process uh, of kind of understanding more about themselves and, and understanding what does it mean to have a plan yeah. when you're looking for a job, um, you know, which is amazing. Um, yeah. Do you think, yeah. I just keep thinking of something you said a minute ago, the kind of how to turn the interview into a job offer. Is that, psych yeah. is that psychological? Is that an element of negotiation and language and are, I, I, can you give away some of the secrets? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Won't give away too much. I'll get slapped <laughs> on the wrist. But I think the you know one of the key things is really about planting the seeds all the way through the job process. Right. Okay. So yeah, imagine you're at interview stage. You might have had two or three interviews. You know, different people within the organisation. You know, some of these consulting companies are having up to ten or eleven interviews with different people, and you're at this point. You're at the cusp, right? And you've got this point where someone needs to make a decision, right? To give you an offer in mm. writing, mm. right? And what's going to sway that person, right? And a lot of it is around what's sitting between their ears, right? Mm. Do they 
they feel that you are going, that you can do the job. You have the knowledge, skills, and abilities. Do they feel that you're going to have the right, what we call can do, will do, will fit, right? Can you do the job? Will you do the job? Do you have the motivation, the drive, the passion, the energy, right? And then will you fit into the culture, the values of that team and the organization, right? And if you have laced all the way through that, that journey, that process, all the right seeds, right? And you answer those three questions and it's clear in the minds of that, that person who has to make that decision, mm. more than likely you're going to get an offer letter, mm. right? And so you have to do that clearer than everybody else that's part of that journey, okay. right? And that's typically through how you tell a story, how you relay the right skills and knowledge, right? Um, and the psychology you talk about, Richard, absolutely, right? You know, people like people who are similar to themselves in some way, yeah. right? So if we use the biases that we have, you know, if you if you stand there and you look at yourself in the mirror and say, nah, I don't think I want to offer you that job, it's hard to say that to yourself, right? Mm. So, you know, if you find some commonalities there, um, you know, it's really powerful way of, of creating a connection with people, right, through that process. Yeah. I don't want to give away too too much away. There's some ideas. <laughs> no, it's great. I've been consuming a lot of audiobooks lately, and uh, you know, I, I think I haven't done a lot of online courses. I think it's interesting for people that they can access this material in that way with a small investment. I just think it's an interesting yeah. concept. We talk about there are there are obviously you know successful platforms, Udemy or a few others, and and uh, that's changing education. But it's just interesting and learning, and I, I think. We're talking about recruitment, but uh, are getting a job offer. But uh, if there's any area in people in people's uh, career that they think they can improve, there's probably a way to improve through digital learning. You know, um, like for, for example, I thought I needed to improve on negotiations, so I listened to a few books on that. And it's just fascinating what you can learn. And I think you know, I wasn't asking that question around you know, myself getting a job, but I just wondered, like so many people come in for an interview and they don't impress enough for the next round. Yeah. And there's, yeah, this, you know, this kind of, like I, like you said, they can impress as individuals or they can have the skills, but they also need to be quite strategic and they're there for a purpose. They're, there's a transactional mm -hmm. element to this. They need a job offer. And, and to, to believe in themselves as well, I think is really important. Yeah, yeah. That, that's critical. That, that's that self-confidence right mm. that kind of shines through i mean there's all those statistics that tell you that some of the difference between men and women on that right so you look at for example if you have a job ad, ad that's placed in the gulf news or wherever it might be um you know a, a woman looking at that job they need to meet 99 percent of that criteria before they apply a man will look at it and say, typically, I can do 50% of that. I'm pretty good to go, <laughs> yeah. right? And it's that level of confidence sometimes that is, you know, just inherent in our communities, in our society. Um, and, you know, it's backing yourself, mm. right, to be able to do that, to know that you can learn quickly, that you can show how your skills are transferable from one company to another or one industry to mm. another, right? Yeah. And it's spending that time up front to show that. Which is important. So being mm. sort of fractional or, or freelance or even out of work, like what, how do you advise people and you know, suffering from anxiety or pressure of, of bills and when will the next job come, whether it's project based or full time? What are there any things that you would suggest to people 
to to cope with it. I, I'm thinking at one point in my career, about 10 years ago, I was between jobs and I just found routine very difficult. I was going for loads of interviews, but I just didn't feel 100%. So, you know, I was stressed. I was staying awake at night and I wasn't getting up as early, you know, and I think it's, that's the, that's another challenge, right? That sort of internal mm. mindset. Like, are there any things that you would advise people? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a there's a number of models out there that are really powerful, right? And if you were to go and, and see a therapist, right? And, and mm. lie on a couch and have a conversation with them, they would use something called cognitive behavior therapy sometimes, right? So yeah. the idea is that, in your mind, your thoughts affect your feelings and your feelings affect your behavior, right? So the, mo the only thing you can control in that cycle are your thoughts. So everything starts and stops with your thoughts. So the conversation you have with yourself sometimes can be really negative, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, oh, I'm not gonna apply for that job. You know, Google's never gonna want to have someone like me or McKinsey wouldn't be interested in my skill set, or, um, you know, uh, Noon is not going to find my skills relevant, you know, for what they're looking for. Mm. And it automatically impedes our ability to be able to go for something, right? Or, or to question why we couldn't make that work, right? So those thoughts kind of help us. And there is something in that sort of mental toughness resilience piece called controlling the controllables, right? It, it comes out of a sports psychology term. It was actually from one of the psychologists who helped the Poms beat the Aussies in cricket uh, to regain the ashes, right, a while ago. And what he kind of went through with the team was to say, look, there are lots of things out of our control, right? The spread of the pandemic is one of them. The economy, we can't control. Government regulation, we can't control. The weather, we can't control. Mm. But we can control what we do today, right? And, you know, one of the things we talk about in the Kickstarter series is actually setting some mini goals for yourself. So we have a spreadsheet that people download and it tells you how many people are you going to contact each day? How many resumes are you, uh, how many job ads are you going to sort of look at, you know, strategically and kind of apply for? And it's kind of working on a day by day basis, sometimes an hour by hour basis, right? What can I do now? Right? What's in my control? that's going to make a difference, right? And it's these kind of baby steps that help build the momentum mm. in a positive way. I find also support, Richard, is, is kind of critical, right? So surround yourself with good people, people yeah. who aren't sucking energy from you that actually give you energy, right? Yeah. Um, that makes a massive difference. And, you know, I, I speak to people who've lost their jobs you know, almost daily. And one of the, the fundamental differences that I find in people who are successful at finding a job quickly and those who aren't is the discipline that they demonstrate, mm. right? So the more structured you are, the more targeted you are, the more likely it is that you are working towards something uh, in, a, in an organized fashion, right? That gives you hope and that gives you a sense of comfort, right? Yeah. yeah. So you want to reduce the instability and security there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, lots of interesting points there. I think a lot of people will relate mm. to it. Thank you for sharing. Mm. The, I think, um, you know, planting little seeds like that, you know, mightn't have an impact today, but uh, over time, if you are disciplined, you'll see, you'll see fruition. And, and you touched mm. on kind of another area we want to talk about, which is mental toughness. And let's talk a little mm. bit about leadership. Uh, sometimes phrases and statements are uh, abstract or they're just 
taken for granted or that person has great mental strength uh what what do you think that means like how would you define someone with great mental strength in a career uh perspective biceps in the brain Um, And, you know, I I kind of partially joke around that. Uh, I I think mental toughness is one of these things where we think it's like a macho concept, right? Mm. That you got to be hard nosed, that you shouldn't have emotion, right? That you just got to deal with stuff and just get on with it, right? Mm. Uh, And that is an extreme version of mental toughness, right? To kind of do those things. But typically the model that we use is a model that was created by an independent body called um, AQR, right? Over in the UK. And they talk about four things, commitment, confidence, challenge, and control, right? So does the person commit to things, right? If you're going through a really tough time, we need to find ways of setting some goals and being able to commit to those goals and ensuring that we put in more effort than is required, right? To kind of, to do that. Uh, overcoming challenges, right, is, is a massive thing. So what are the obstacles that I'm gonna face, right? And what is the mindset that I need to have to make sure that I'm going to overcome those obstacles? And what support do I need around me, mm. right, to be able to achieve that, right? Um, confidence. So we talked a little bit about confidence before, believing in yourself. And there are kind of two kinds of confidence. Confidence in your abilities, right? Do I have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to do the job? And then self-confidence, right? So this is about, uh, or interpersonal confidence. This is about standing up for what you believe, mm. right? And, you know, whether it's in a group environment or in a small team, um, trying to decide what you are going to stand for. Now, that is part of your personal brand mm. as well, right? What makes you unique as a, as a value proposition. And the final one is around control, emotional control. You know, when things are going really badly for you and you feel like you're just not getting a win, right? Do you resort to that staying in that frustration? And it's okay to be sad and, and frustrated, Right. That's all normal. It's all human. But we shouldn't choose to stay there, mm. right? We, we need to kind of pick ourselves up and kind of go above the line, right? And kind of choose to say, well, okay, here's a problem. What's the opportunity, Yeah. right? That, that yeah. this kind of presents for us. So it's those kind of things that, that kind of help us. Um, and those kind of four areas that can be really powerful. I think it's a great analogy. And again, thank you for sharing. But uh, the, the four examples are the areas the mental biceps in the brain is interesting because, you know, the default is, oh, that person's tough uh, because they're naturally like it's, it's what's the word, um, innate or you know, born with it, born with mental strength. Yeah. But actually the biceps analogy is that, you know, what do you do to, to grow your biceps? Okay, you need to lift weights, but also it's nutrition, it's lifestyle, it's consistency with going to the gym. And similarly with, with, biceps in the brain you can have meditation you can have therapy you can have quiet time you can have knowledge you can read books you can um, educate yourself with the right information and then the right foods and it all relates and I think I think that's that's really interesting Um, I can relate to it a lot and I think in terms of sports uh, and what people do you know you see people who, who win individual sports or team sports and they say they have great mm. mental strength, but actually, um, you know, they might have lost many times. And it's by the, the brain, the mental strength is getting stronger by learning from those experiences. Uh, so it's a good analogy for the, for the workplace as well. And of course, I think controlling, understanding your patterns and emotions 
uh, is such a crucial learning for people. Um, do, is, what you explained, and you do it in a nice kind of uh, easy to understand way, but there's a lot of depth to that. Like, how can how can um, you do that? Obviously, that's not covered in a Kickstarter course. So how can you kind of work with people? Do you work in group levels or individuals, or how does that work? Yeah, so we, we touch upon it in Kickstarter as a mindset that people need to have, right? As you're going into a job search process, because you know, typically you know, we, we talk to lots of people and they say, oh, I applied for 100 jobs on LinkedIn and uh, I got one response back, right? Well, clearly that strategy may not be working for you. So that demoralizes people and they feel like their mental toughness gets dropped, right, as a result of that. So we need to try some new strategies and different approaches. Um, so in a way, you know, going back to your question, Richard, some of, the, some of the ways in which people can kind of develop this, right, is really focusing on what is in their control and what can they do to bring some of the experiences from the past, mm -hmm. right, some of the achievements that they've had, and remember what were those components, right, that they kind of had as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, learning from past experiences is great. Taking risks, right, trying new things is a massive way. So we spend time individually, you know, with people, with teams, and with actually wider organizations as well, right, mm. to do this. A couple of years ago, we were asked to work on a project where um, we had some pretty mentally tough people in a boardroom, and the COO jumped across the boardroom in this meeting and punched the CFO in the face. Wow. Right? <laughs> and you can imagine these are extreme, highly ambitious, A-type individuals, all being put into a room, trying to decide on the strategy of this organization. It was a bank, right? Wow. Now, when things like that happen, typically you need external support to come in and to have an objective kind of um, approach, right, to how people work. Was that, in this case... Was that something you yeah. simulated or you designed or did that happen naturally by these people... Well, that happened, then we got called in, oh, right? Okay, and okay. so... Because you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know some of these yeah, I mean, trying to oh, simulate things and they try and bring you... some great ideas for simulations. <laughs> this is awesome. Wow. <laughs> we should put it in an octagonal, <laughs> octagonal ring. That could yeah, work yeah, pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. clearly they, they needed help. They needed, they needed your help. <laughs> yeah, they needed some help. Yeah. And in that case, it, it, what was happening was they had extreme versions of mental toughness and extreme preference towards... Uh, the way in which they might have been tough on people, that they were highly risk-taking. They were very low on emotional control, clearly, mm. right? So you start to see extreme variability in the way in which people behave. And so what we're trying to do is to bring that awareness to people, firstly. You know, what, what is your natural style? Because as you and I know, when you introduce stress, right, into people's lives, they revert to their natural style of behavior, mm. right? So if you are naturally somebody who doesn't necessarily have a strong ability to manage their emotions, put you into a stressful situation, you might explode, Yeah. right? And so, you know, if you have that awareness that you do that, and if you ever watch the movie Bad Boys, all right? Uh, Martin Lawrence in Bad Boys 2 does this thing called Wooza, yeah. <laughs> where he touches his earlobe, and that anchors him to remind himself that he needs to calm down, Yeah. right? And there are lots of techniques that you can use to kind of help you to do that. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So um, just about the risk-reward, I was talking to an entrepreneur this week, and he kind of said that the in this environment, in this economy, that the reward isn't there as much for the risk that people take. Uh, 
can can you relate to that or is that true or does it, is that different than careers yeah it's a real challenge i think the reward is now starting to look a little bit different okay right and so sometimes if we're judging reward by the old parameters that we might have had you know from five years ago or even three years ago or two years ago yeah it's probably quite different to what it is now okay uh, i was talking to a ceo two days ago and he was mentioning that actually He's so frustrated with everyone talking about this post-COVID world and what do our goals and outcomes need to be there. You know what? We are in post-COVID. This is it. I can manage this and this is what I'm going to focus on. Yeah. Right. And he was going back to that controlling the controllables as a way of managing his own reward system. Mm. Right. These are the risks I'm going to take. This is what I understand are the current situations. And this is the reward that I'm expecting in the state that I know now, okay. right? And so I think we need to change the goalposts about what the yeah. reward looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's good, good, glad I asked. Okay, final question, and we always ask this on Dubai Works, is about the region here and as an emerging market. Raj, you, you, you were here since 12 years ago, I think, before 2007? And yeah. then uh, 2008, the, yeah. 2008, yeah. So, and your your business is in the UK and Australia, but also firmly in Dubai. What what have you? What are the positives that do you think that this region, the Middle East, can emerge in the same way that China has, and the same way that India is emerging? Can the Middle East emerge as a market, uh, as an economy? Can we see higher GDPs across the board? And if so, how long will it take? Yeah, <laughs> I wish I was an economist to work this out. Um, look, I'm just a psychologist. So look, I think if we, from my perspective well, and, and my and profession- a business owner, that, And a business owner as well. Who, yeah, who based he's here, a business yeah. owner, absolutely. I think mindset tells you a lot, right? And I think where there's a will, there is a way. And my God, is there a will in the Middle East, right? And so if we're going to use that as a foundation of building on strength, most regions have been decimated, right, by what's been going on. If there's a will to rebuild and a concerted effort to do that, the rebuilding is going to move at accelerated pace, mm. right? And I think we're starting to see that. And of course, China is starting to do that. And they're a single force. And in the Middle East, a lot of that is also happening, right? There is very much a single force in each of the countries that drives um, a lot of that change, right, in consultation with its relevant stakeholders. But also then we have the GCC, right? This, this cooperating council of countries that supports each other, you know, to be able to do that. And so from that perspective, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people who, you know, are in different states, right, in, in, within, you know, their own entrepreneurship journey. And for us, we just need to rethink and do things a little bit differently. Uh, and I think trying to go back to the ways of, um, you know, how we might have measured success in the past is probably not going to be a good indication of what success is going to look like moving forward. There might be some metrics that are similar. Um, it'd be very hard for me, Richard, to put a time frame on this, yeah. right? I think some industries, you know, they're already out of it, right? Technology has already moved ahead. Mm. And so, you know, they're well and truly thriving. Uh, you know, we've seen online retail sales, you know, uh, companies two, 300% of their targets, right? Because they just didn't anticipate this. Whereas footfall is kind of down, right? So, you know, we, we're kind of seeing some different measures that now companies are needing to use to measure success or to, to deem success. Mm. Uh, and so I think that's different. But where there's a will, there is a way. And I think that that part is fundamental 
to making sure that there is a un unified approach mm. to having the success, mm. right? Um, I think in, in a lot of the sort of Western developed economies, you see the fractional sort of mindset, right, around where people should go, mm. whether it's in the US or in different countries in Europe. Um, you know, you've got these different, you know, partisan type, you know, conversations happening. Um, and you don't necessarily have that so much in the Middle East, right? Mm. So that creates alignment and that, therefore that creates a faster opportunity to move and to pivot. Mm. And that's what we've been seeing, you know, a lot more of recently. And that's probably what we need at the moment. Well, Raj, really nice mm. to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time uh, and good to connect perfectly to Sydney. So hopefully we'll see you uh, when you're back in Dubai in person. That'd be wonderful. Thank you for your time. Love your work. Thanks, Richard. Thank you, Raj. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy.